Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. Here you will find Dr. Cindy Elliser and Kat McKeever, researchers at Pacific Mammal Research, talking all about marine mammals. We will have a variety of ways to share information with you through discussing research articles and news stories, interviews with other researchers, and more. Join us to learn more about marine mammals and have some fun. Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Kat. And uh, this week is a journal review, and uh, this one was one we uh, forgot about. Um, we, we actually had this ready to go for one of our other ones in December, I think, or, or some, a few months ago. And um, then we got interviews and we did some other stuff, and, and we were looking back, and I was like, oh, I forgot to do this one. So I'm very excited about it. Um, it's by one of our uh, friends and colleagues in New Zealand. Uh, we just did a paper with her last year, um, which was very... Uh, a lot of work, but very, very worth it. <laughs> um, that was on um, how to uh, how to identify hard to identify species of dolphins and porpoises. Um, but she does work with leopard seals, and we we did the podcast. Did have we done marine mammal highlights on leopard seals? Yes, we did. Yeah, so check that out. It's a good one. Uh, they're really cool. Um, but this one is uh, leopard seals in New Zealand waters predating on chondriacthians. Oh, con- I, I think I added an A in there. Chondriacthians. There you go. I like to add vowels in where there shouldn't be vowels sometimes. <laughs> um, and it's by Krista Vanderling uh, et al. And uh, so chondriacthians are cartilaginous fishes like sharks. Yep. Very cool. So cool. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, and it's very, it's very, very cool. And it, I, I, what I really liked about it too, is that it highlights both citizen science and photo ID, mm-hmm. important aspects of, of, of science. So we'll get right into it, uh, this really cool paper. And, and it's also talking about New Zealand. And I think New Zealand's really cool. It's one place that I still want to go. Sometimes. It is very and uh, I, I, we were supposed to go there for the conference uh, years ago, but I think that's when I got pregnant. Um, and so then that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, because it's definitely a long trip. Just a bit, just, just a little bit. Uh, so someday we'll get, we'll get, I want to go to Australia and, uh, and New Zealand. Um, anyway, so uh, leopard seals, again, uh, go back to our um, remember highlights on leopard seals. If you want to learn even more about them, we're not going to discuss all the details about them here, um, but they do have a circumpolar distribution um, basically in the south of the earth. Yeah, southern hemisphere. Yes, so they're down there um, and the, uh, and well, we'll talk about it, but it always makes, the seasons are weird down there because they're opposite of here and I just can't get my brain around it. Um, but uh, so down there and they, but they will go farther north. So they're basically down by Antarctica uh, in those colder waters, uh, all kind of all the way around, um, but they will go further north to the continents uh, and islands that are abutting the Southern Ocean. So they'll occasionally foray into more northern areas. Right. Um, but they don't know much about the foraging ecology, even though they have um, their top predators, right? So they they have direct effects on ecosystem level um, interactions, like wolves do in you know, Yellowstone, that's one of the most famous, um, you know, direct uh, um, predation on elk, but then also that, that predation on elk 
filters into how the trees are doing and how the birds are doing because of how everything works together. Um, so they have direct and indirect um, uh, uh, interactions with the ecosystem, just kind of kind of like the wolves in Yellowstone kind of idea. Um, those indirect effects can be like predating on shared resources. So the competition with other um, higher organisms, right? They're competing for the same, the same food. Um, uh, but they are, can, do you wanna talk a little bit about what they look like just real quick? I mean, they look crazy. So, <laughs> I mean, they're, they, they look quite prehistoric. That's the one thing that I think I've heard from everybody who's seen a picture of a leopard seal. Um, we've never seen it in person, but yeah, their face is very different from other seals. So they are quite large. Um, they do have some spotting, um, kind of more on the, on like sides and underside the upper, upper, well, yeah, ventral surface is kind of more gray. Um, but they have a quite of an elongated head and their nostrils are like right on the top of their nose. Um, it's almost kind of a snake-like head. Just even looking yes. at the pictures in the in the paper, I'm like, these guys yes. kind of just remind me of snakes. It's weird. And I could I couldn't put my finger on what they look like and why they they they're like weird. And that's it. They they look like snakes with fur. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and we will get into this a little bit later. But they are quite famous for having very unique teeth um, amongst the um, seal species because they can actually eat krill as well. So they have really unique teeth um, that allows them to be basically excellent generalist predators. Yeah, and that's perfect. That's where we were just going into. So they they have they call them dual functioning dentation. Dentition. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Which is it is really weird. Like you either eat fish and mammal stuff or you eat like krill and plankton stuff. You don't usually eat both of those. Right. Um, so they, they conceive that small prey, they, so they eat krill, cephalopods, fishes, birds, other pinnipeds, right? So they, the, the huge generalist, that's a wide mm -hmm. range, much wider than most, any kind of species. Um, I like that they said that they have their large size and the large gape of their mouths, they basically they yeah. go really big, um, allows them to target very big prey, which again, then also they're targeting tiny krill. So how they can do that is just kind of mind-boggling. I think that's the other part that reminds me of a snake. Like, because yes. you, you see, I've seen so many pictures of like that, you know, these epic pictures of leopard seals where the, the journalist or the, you know, the cameraman has, and they're like the leopard seals like coming at the camera. And it just looks like these pictures you see of snakes lunging at prey. Yeah. Well, and like snakes can unhinge their jaws. So not exactly. that saying that, that the leopard seals can, but they can get it so big that it kind of looks like they are. Yep. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, they also have wing-like foreflippers, which allow them to be very agile, which is helpful in catching all mm -hmm. these different types of prey. Um, and what they eat, uh, because generalists generally, sorry, <laughs> are, um, they, they'll eat whatever's available, right? Because they can't, right? They're not specialists. So if something's more abundant during certain seasons, they'll eat that. Um, and so, and by location. So because of that, their composition of, of of diet can vary with season and location. Mm -hmm. But what's really interesting is that even though, I mean, I guess it's mainly because they're kind of hard to study because of the Antarctic waters are really kind of rough down there. So um, they don't know a lot about the full gamut of what they eat. They just know they eat those different things, right? Um, mm -hmm. Only seven prey species have been ID'd in New Zealand and all of them are seabirds. Which is fascinating to me yeah. that they're all birds. 
yeah i know right like there hasn't been documented like any fish it's weird um and this is even though historically they have been seen there since the 12th century so it's not really weird that they're in new zealand um but it has been uh more recently found that they are there year round so how long they've been there year round is we don't know really because there hasn't been direct research on it till recently uh, they documented that in the last you know a few years that they're there year round um but the fact that now that they have been there year round for a fair amount now um and they still don't know don't have diet studies done i think is very interesting yeah so um let's define chondrichthians i'm gonna say it correctly for the rest of the podcast <laughs> um are chimeras sharks skates and rays so remember that cartilage is what's in your nose and your ears right so cartilaginous fishes these guys don't have bony skeletons they have cartilaginous skeletons so they are more flexy and less hard although (laughs) (laughs) some of the they it's kind of a misnomer right so they're not just all like floppy floppy right their skeletons are still there, but they're just made out of a different material than everybody else's. So uh, they have seen that it's not uncommon for seals to eat sharks and rays and things like that. Um, New Zealand fur seals eat uh, chimeras particularly, and all of them, but especially those. The New Zealand sea lions eat um, all those, but also especially skates. Um, And leopard seals in Australia uh, have been seen wounded by stingray barbs. So I think that was an indication if they're getting wounded by the stingray barbs, they're probably trying to go after them. Right. Because you wouldn't you wouldn't really be grabbing a stingray, you would think, unless you're trying to actually eat it. Right. I mean, one would think, I, I suppose you could, but I'm not really sure why you want to. <laughs> right. And usually, like, to get a stingray barb embedded in you, you have to be close to that animal. They're not, it's not like they can right. shoot, like, porcupine quails, you know, <laughs> quills, like, yards away um so they're they're interacting with them in some way so it's likely that they're probably trying to keep them so it's not it's not out of the out of the box it's just hasn't been documented in new zealand in new zealand leopard seals before um which is very uh, interesting but also they don't know too much about their eating habits so there's that as well um so that i that's what i had for kind of summing up the, the introduction unless you had anything else yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I would add is just that, um, just to kind of give a shout out. So leopardseals.org is the the organization that is really kind of spearheading this research. Um, and they have, you know, as we'll get into in a little bit, they have a very active citizen science program. But I just wanted to kind of shout that out here because we will be referring to that organization throughout. But I just think it's very cool, again, kind of similar to what we do, you know, where we are a nonprofit organization, but we are also conducting active research and we are incorporating citizen science and just how, just kind of laying up now, like how important that combination is to be able to utilize the public and their enthusiasm and excitement about these animals as well to get some really incredible information and data. Yeah, and we're going to highlight that quite a bit because it's impressive how much data came from citizen science for yeah in particular and how powerful yeah. it can be for sure yeah so leopardseals.org check them out um they got obviously great pictures of leopard seals um mm-hmm. but yeah they do a lot of they have uh, a lot of people just going out and looking for uh the animals and taking pictures of them from 
appropriate distances and things like that. Um, but we'll talk more about that in the methods here. Uh, but it's a great organization. Um, so the primary goal of the study, as we get into the methods here, um, was to identify prey by observations of predation and by scat. So we're going back to the poop. Right. Notice how this is kind of a theme with like all seal species. <laughs> <laughs> and poop is just really important in a lot of things that were, um, were, were more and more research. Um, I mean, it's been important for a long time, but it's, it, it doesn't go away, right? Poop is important. And we're just yep. going to keep highlighting that. Yeah. So, uh, and I like the words, I like saying scat, it's fun. Um, and so I, I thought it was interesting too that they they did do some actual, like if they saw them eating the uh, fish or whatever. So um, it's a, a, another highlight of this paper is the variety of data that they're using to, to document yes. this stuff. Yeah. So the first one is a visual or photo or video of prey being consumed or intact, uh, intact prey, like the, the fish is like next to them on the beach kind of thing or uh, prey embedded in the body, which we're gonna talk about quite a bit, which is uh, interesting. These, these animals do have defenses, <laughs> these um, chondrichthians. So uh, it can be a bit risky. Uh, and then the second one was stat remains. So they uh, looked at non-digested, the hard parts, uh, and also soft parts, which I was like, what soft parts are they talking about? And they're like feathers. Like, oh, right. right. Oh, that's right. <laughs> sure about that. Um, so then also scales, bones, fishing line, parasites, nematodes, et cetera, other, other things that have come out to the other end. Um, so they're <laughs> looking at it all. Because again, what you eat is what you are. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that I thought was cool too is that kind of they went into the literature as well, mm -hmm. which I love. So they're, you know, they're doing this kind of active collection of information, but then they also took the time to go through the both the published and unpublished literature um, looking for examples of predation or scats that had been recorded previously indicating um, leopard seals feeding on chondrichthians. So I thought that was really cool too, where, um, you know, so important to kind of lay up that foundation of your research, where it's like, oh, has this actually been documented before? Yeah, and that is so important. Um, you know, that's what we did with our, our paper about harbor porpoises asphyxiation, asphyxiation. Uh, is using the data that we collected and went through the, the databases for, but also looked in the literature because sometimes something's written in a paper, but it's not the main point of the paper and it's exactly. noted there. So it's important to try to find those. It's hard sometimes to find all those because you have to read a lot of papers, but, um, but I think that you're right. That is a very good point that they did. They use, you know, past data, part, part published data, and then the data that they collected. Mm -hmm. So they uh, collected they, they collected stuff from um, many different regions that were laid out by the New Zealand government. So the government like sections off New Zealand uh, in different portions. Um, so they used those regions and locations. Um, they did that literature review and then they used the unpublished records which would be the opportunistic uh, observations that just people or researchers caught on accident basically um, or um, researchers who are doing dedicated research like the leopardseals.org um, and other affiliates and citizen scientists. So a, a wide range of different types of data that they were able to put together. Mm -hmm. um, they have a reporting system uh, and you can, in the paper, it lays out, lays that out. If you go to leopardseals.org, you can look at it as well, but they have a well, well established reporting system for when uh, people see these leopard seals on beaches and what to do and 
uh, I, I like Akap said before, a lot of citizen scientists that are, are doing that work. Um, so they looked at that, they have opportunistic observations where you know, you're just walking the beach and hey, there's a leopard seal, okay? And so you, you, you report that in the system. Um, and then they also, um, they have frequent checks of known haul-out locations. So they'll go and check those regularly and take pictures and things like that. Um, and then they continued, uh, had continued monitoring of selected haul-out sites uh, via trail cameras. So they have other which ways. pretty cool. Yeah, not just people sitting there watching the beaches, but they have cameras out, which is really cool. Um, yeah. Th uh, that reminds me of, uh, uh, I have a friend that just, just sent a video, they have an underwater camera and the seal came up and checked it out, like, like literally. Like, oh, cool. A harbor seal up here in, in our area. So it's really neat when you can, when you just have cameras out, what, what you end up getting to see. Yeah. Um, so they did, um, uh, they, they had observations of actual predation that were usually pictures um, take it and they were, took those for the seal uh, seal ID because they do do photo ID on these seals. They, the spotting patterns are, are unique as just like they are for harbor seals. Um, so they can identify the individuals, which is another really important part of this. Um, and then also for the prey ID. So you could take pictures of the fish to find out what kind of fish it was. Mm -hmm. um, and they collected the prey if possible. So if there were remnants of it or, or the animal just left it, um, they would take it. But obviously you're not just going to go and take a fish from a leopard seal. So that would not be advisable. <laughs> no, that would be a very, very bad idea. So uh, when, when possible uh, and safe, uh, they, were, they were able to do that. Um, and this also includes necropsied animals. Um, so they went through those uh, data and, and any that happened during the time frame um, to be able to look at what was happening with them. Um, I love, and so photos are not just for the ID of the seals, it's also for poop. You, yep. you know, we also take pictures of poop. We as yep. royal <laughs> researchers. <laughs> um, although I've taken pictures of poop in the water, so um, there's that with dolphins. Um, but they take the photos of the poop before collecting with a ruler. So when they go out and they see the scat, um, they'll take a, put a ruler next to it and take a picture so they can see the size of it. Um, and, uh, and then they froze it uh, and then they unfroze it, take a photograph of it and then dissect it and taking using tweezers to remove uh, any of the non-fecal material and photograph each item. Very forensic, really. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked about this on several other podcasts too and it's basically the same method where they're using multiple levels of sieving mm -hmm. to, to get to these basically like hard parts or soft parts that they were extracting. Um, so we won't kind of go too much into the detail of how this process works because we have done that in quite a few other podcasts. But basically, they're using a lot of sieves right. and rinse very gently. Yeah. Um, stuff and then little stuff to extract all of those things. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and I will just mention in here uh, we have talked about this in the leopard seals one that was one of the fun facts. But this is the remember the case of the uh, jump drive that was oh yes lost, eaten by a leopard seal, pooped out, collected, frozen for a year, defrosted taken out and it still worked. And they were able to, to find the person whose jump drive it was based on the pictures. And it was the person who collected it. Which is hilarious. Hilarious, right? She didn't even know she lost it. And then it turns <laughs> out that she was one of the citizen scientists that collected the scat when she saw it, sent it in and she was sending in her own jump drive. But luckily she had all her pictures backed up so she didn't actually lose anything. But really. um, we always like to say like whatever jump drive uh, brand that is, everybody should buy because it can <laughs> go through the digestive system of a leopard seal, be frozen for a year and still work. So, yep. so you never know what they're gonna eat, right? So they may be fine, you know, that's another important point of 
these animals are eating what they should, but they're also eating what they shouldn't, right? And so mm -hmm. seeing things like that is an important reminder that we should not uh, leave things out uh, if, and, uh, if we can. Obviously, accidents happen. But, <laughs> um, I lost a hat one time while we were on the, on, on the boat. I felt terrible because it flew off, but I, I couldn't go back and get it, unfortunately. Lost um, many pairs off boats oh my gosh yeah <laughs> that's like that's like my number one thing that i lose every time it's like oh well new, new season better get a new pair of sunglasses <laughs> terrible i lost one one time but they were like the clip-ons they're magnetic and i i i, I like uh, not replaceable and they actually yeah. did a man overboard drill and they threw the thing out and we actually found them on the oh nice that's cool. yeah it was it was impressive so it was we used <laughs> it as a learning tool for this there you go somebody fell overboard <laughs> uh, but i was waiting for that to happen it would have happened eventually <laughs> um, so for the idea of the fish species, um, they had experts uh, that, you know, fish experts, right? Because for the paper that we did about looking at what the harbor porpoises were eating, we're not fish experts. We sent those pictures to someone else and can you tell us what species this fish is? So what I thought was really interesting and I hadn't thought about it was that they did not tell them the locations mm -hmm. where the fish came from. Because mm -hmm. I didn't even think about it, but it totally makes sense because if you know the location, you're going to have already, you know, background information about what should be there. And so right. that will influence or bias your, possibly your um, identification if you're unsure, you know, if it's like, well, it could be this or this. Um, so that, that helped to make sure that it really, you know, if, it, if there was a weird one that showed up there, that it wasn't lost because they were like, well, it can't be that one. So it's got yeah. mm -hmm. so that was really cool. Um, the hard parts for chondrichthines are opaque white or yellow vertebrae lacking fused spines or arches, calcified tooth plates, you think about like rays and things like that, they don't really have teeth, they have those plates with ridges on them, um, enameled teeth and calcified dermal denticles, those are the, like the, their scales on the outside. Right. Um, correct, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, sharks um, don't have scales. Right. Yeah, they don't have like the regular they have denticles. Yeah, which I, I was like, I don't know. It's, I like that word. I think it's fun. Mm -hmm. It's like dentists and tentacles. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this includes thorns. So some of them have thorns. Remember, we talked about that risky danger part. Um, calcified dorsal fin spine sheaths, uh, jaws, and girdles. And I don't know what a girdle is. I mean, I know what a girdle is, but I don't know what a girdle is in respect to a cartilaginous fish. <laughs> I probably should have looked that up, but I don't know. So those are the, <laughs> those are the hard parts. Um, and you notice that all those are calcified. So instead of it being like the bony material, osseous material is calcified cartilaginous stuff. Um, so here's the other part interesting that they did for this is not only looking at the physical more, uh, you know, stuff that they find, but they actually also then took DNA from that stuff um, to try to do DNA sequencing for the data. And it'll, that'll be important when we, when we talk about the results and discussion. Um, so they did DNA sequencing. And once again, we are not DNA people. So we're not going to go into details about how they did that because it's complicated and you can read it in the paper if you want to. <laughs> um, but it's really cool. Uh, and so they what, uh, what was interesting too is that, you know, so the DNA will tell you something and it could be maybe one of two species, right? So sometimes it's very clear as to which animal it is, but sometimes it's not. So in this mm -hmm. case, they did it, um, if, there was, um, if there was an equal level of ID for two species, 
because also you may not get the full sequence, right? So you get most of it right. and, and most of it, it fits in both of those, but you don't have the rest that tells you which one specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, if they had two of those, then they use the genus or family. So they didn't identify two species. Um, and then they also checked it with the known species in New Zealand. So if you have two and you, and there's only one that's known in New Zealand, then it's probably that one. Um, yeah. So, so it was, again, it was pretty thorough and like very sort of systematic in how they did all of this processing. Exactly. Um, and so, um, so they would upgrade or downgrade to genus or species or family, even depending on the level of accuracy that they knew about, you know, what the animal was. Um, and then they did the idea of leopard seals. So they take photographs and they can match those spotting patterns. And they have a leopardseals.org has a catalog of known individuals that are uh, visit New Zealand. Um, so they're able to check with that catalog for those individuals. So the analysis is that they looked at the number of times um, they ID'd chondrichthians being eaten by austral season. So this is where I was prefacing beforehand. I always it just still blows my mind and I'm not a kid anymore, um, that their, their spring is September to November, summer is December to February, autumn is March to May, and winter is June to August. So our summer is their winter and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so that's just weird, but that's what it is down there. And I always think about like, well, down there, it's weird that we do it our way, you know? Right, so- I was gonna say, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, yeah, it depends on where you are. Yeah, it's just where, what you're used to, so. Um, to me, it's weird, but to them, it's not. Um, so then they also looked at, at region. So if there was more in one region or, or another in New Zealand, and then the individual characteristics for the, um, some of the ones that they, uh, the individuals that they know of the seals. So they looked at the age, uh, age class, sex, uh, tooth wear and body condition um, to just look at and see if there's anything, any commonalities in between uh, mm-hmm. those for the individuals. So that's pretty much the methods. Um, and we will dive into the results after we take a quick break. And we're back. And so now we're gonna talk about the results and there's some really interesting uh, interesting stuff here. The first one, we're gonna head, head back to the idea of citizen science. So, almost half of the data they collected came from citizen scientists, 48.8%. Awesome. Right. Like, I don't think I've seen, I mean, except for some that do like, they, it's basically all showing the citizen science works. You know, there's many papers out on that that use all that data and then show that it is similar to what the researchers were, were observing. Um, but I don't know if I've seen this much just in, in the actual data that's given and putting research data and citizen science data together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they uh, collected 166 records of predation. And let's see, 39 of those were observations and 127 of them are scats. So I think they have a good amount of volunteers that just go out and look the poop. Right. Which makes sense. I mean, again, just like the likelihood of actually having having the leopard seal consuming prey when you happen to see it is actually not that high. Um, So it makes sense just that that kind of variation where you have a lot more records of scat than you would of actual observations of predation. 
Yeah, and I was actually surprised they had that many. I mean, because again, yeah, most of the time they're, they're going to be eating in the water, I think, usually. I mean, mm-hmm. I think most seals. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah. So, um, but out of those 39 observations, 82.1% of those were assistant science. Um, and out of the SCAT, 38.6% were from citizen science. Um, and then, and that makes sense too. They, they, leopardseals.org does have, you know, a, a, a group of people that go out, like researchers that go out and collect the SCATs and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a little bit less of that. And I mean, probably because, I mean, usually when you talk about collecting poop, people go, ew. Right. Yeah. So I don't know how many citizens are like, well, yes out and collect poop so that's probably part of it um but out of the observations uh they found 23.1 percent of the fish that they saw they were eating were chondrichthines um and out of the scats it was uh 7.1 percent which i thought was interesting right the contained chondrichthine remains Mm -hmm. and we'll we'll talk about that in discussion why that might be um just with how we how, how, it, how it gets eaten and whatnot. Um, but they found elephant fish, ghost shark, which I think that's just a cool name. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I watched Shark Dog with my daughter and he's the, the, the nemesis in that show is like, it's the ghost shark. So I saw that mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, <laughs> ghost shark. Uh, and then the spiny dogfish. Uh, and that was the most they found. So they found one elephant fish, one ghost shark, 10 spiny dogfish, and um, six unidentified chondrichthians. Right? They couldn't, they knew it was a, a chondrichthian, but they didn't know what um, what species or even family. They just unknown. Because sometimes the remains are not good enough to figure that out. <laughs> You're like, I know that was a fish. Uh, and a cartilaginous fish at that, but beyond that, I didn't. Um, the season, uh, they found it in every season, but there was the highest in spring and then winter. So 19% in spring and 12.8% in winter. Um, so not too much really of a difference within seasons. Yeah, it was pretty, I mean, again, we're not talking about huge sample sizes of prey either so again this is where like the number of chondrichthians that were actually identified is relatively low to be able to yeah there's 18 yeah yeah it's hard i mean it's hard to just get an accurate picture of what's going on with season but that was interesting that there was a slight preference towards spring winter Mm -hmm. and that may just be due for abundance of they may be more abundant during that time because babies are born or whatever you know that kind of thing um, and this is real interesting, and it makes sense when we when we look at the discussion. But the location, so they basically there's a whole bunch of different locations in New Zealand that we're not going to go into that detail. But they have the North Islands and the South Islands is kind of the big split that they do. Uh, and they found only 4.4 percent in the North Islands and 42.9 percent in the South Islands of, mm-hmm. of the prey that they were eating there were were chondrichthians. Right. So pretty Actually. substantial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely more in the south i guess it's a you know i won't say cultural thing but you know that area is one that is um more common mm-hmm. um and then they had uh the 10 individuals that they knew in their catalog um that were that they observed eating or uh, either observed eating or through their scats right if they know that the poop came from that one which like I mean, I, I swam with dolphins and we wait to watch them poop and then swim behind them and know that we're taking that animal's poop. But 
I, I just I just wonder, are you out and then like you see uh what leopard seal take a poop and then you That's go, what I was thinking too. Right. If you actually are observing them for a length of time, that might be the case. Yeah. So I was like, that's kind of cool. And then yeah. like, how long do you wait? <laughs> right. Oh yeah. So you're certainly not gonna go up and take your poop right away either, just as you wouldn't take the fish. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, they were able to do it. Um, and it did seem like there were more adults. There were 11 adults and six juveniles for the ones that they could um, new age class for. Um, only three males and 11 females for the ones that they knew the sex of. They don't know the sex uh, or age class for all of them. Um, so interesting. But again, as you said, kind of lower sample size. So it's not, we're not sure that that's really representative, but it is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had one tooth wear and 10 that had none. Um, and they did make a you know an asterisk on that guy that said the um that one that had tooth wear had necropsy periodontal disease where the roots were exposed and i think like one canine was like almost completely out oh so that one that one had some issues yeah so the tooth wear was probably not have anything to do with eating chondritic things which i think is why they had it in there because the scales i would assume could wear your teeth more than if you were eating regular fish Correct, because denticles are basically like sandpaper. So if you're trying to if you're trying to nom on some denticles, that's going to basically sandpaper your teeth down. And didn't we? There was a paper about that with orcas. The orcas that eat correct brinks. Yeah, and it yeah. like wears down their teeth real bad. Yeah, which are also typically in New Zealand. Funnily enough, Ew, crazy. Which we'll get to actually in the discussion. <laughs> yeah, those crazy down under there eating sharks and stuff. Um, so again, you got to really want to eat that if it's going to like literally sandpaper your teeth off. It's not. Yeah. Um, and then body condition, excellent was 12, four was good, and only one was fair. So I think they look at that as to, you know, are they eating, are the, are the ones in poor condition the ones eating these because they can't get the other prey that they normally do, right? Is this right. a desperation thing or not? So it doesn't seem to be. Um, they had nine observations of live predation or the prey being right next to them on the beach. Uh, and 33% had intact prey items where they actually had pictures in the paper where this leopard seal just like, laying next to this giant or not giant mm-hmm. yeah shark, you know, which is kind of cool um and then 66 percent included embedded spines usually of unidentified chondric beans. they didn't know which ones did it right um but then they did say that this could be underrepresented because some of the spines may be hard to detect so if they get pushed in and then break off it's not going to be easy to see the spines there right um and one individual had spines over three events in 25 days. So Oof. you're continually getting smacked in the face by these spines. All right, it's pretty, again, it's pretty hardcore. Yeah, um, and they had, uh, they, they also saw puncture injuries from past encounters. One had 14 wounds. Mm-hmm. So it's not even like you did it and you go, ow, wow, that really hurt, maybe I won't do that. This guy's like, ow, that really hurt. Well, I'm gonna eat it again. Yeah. So. It kind of makes you wonder, like, why are you doing that? If there is such a risk and that it um, hurts in your face, because most of them are in the jaw or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, why? That's the question. <laughs> but that's what we're trying to figure out. Um, so they had some individuals that were repeat offenders. <laughs> you want to say that. Uh, two that they observed eating spiny dogfish twice. Uh, others, ones that ate chimeras three times. And, and a spiny dogfish. Um, so it is their, 
it's not just that each individual is like, I'm going to try this once and then get poked in the face and be like, oh, I'm not going to do that again, right? There are individuals that are repeatedly going after these specific species. Right. So trying to figure out, again, why? Why would you do this? <laughs> Very good question. So that's what they found. Um, and so now we're going to talk a little bit about what that all means in the grand scheme of life. And why do we care? Because we should care. Um, but it's really important data to have, as we mentioned before, just from understanding it from an ecosystem level perspective of who's eating what and who's competing with who and who's endangered and who's not. And what is that, you know, all that kind of stuff go together. Mm -hmm. um, so they had 10.8% of 166 uh, samples that share, showed for the first time evidence of leopard seals eating chondrichthyans, the elephant seal, the ghost shark, and swine dogfish. Elephant uh, fish, and, not elephant, oh, elephant seal. Fish. What did I say? <laughs> You said elephant seal. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa not, a, not a convictian. Wow. That, well, I mean, they do eat other seals, but I don't think they I mean, seals. yeah, but you know. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, my writing here, it, it certainly doesn't look like seal, but it barely looks like fish. So <laughs> I probably just answered, yeah. Uh, elephant seal in the brain. Yes. Elephant fish, ghost shark, and spiny dogfish. Um, and they found it in all Austral seasons and in seven regions of, the, of New Zealand. Again, we didn't look at those individually, but those were the ones that were in, you know, north and south. Um, and the, you know, the, really the highlight beyond the fact that this is the first time that they show that they, that these guys eat chondrichthians, um, is the multifaceted approach that we talked about. So mm -hmm. they use observations, they use SCAT, they use DNA analysis, um, and citizen science and researchers and opportunistic sightings. Um, so it really highlights what kind of great information you can pull together uh, that gives you a more clear view of what's happening. So if you only had the scat or you only had the observations, it wouldn't give as complete a picture as we have with all these different faceted um, stuff. So it's yeah. an important, they, they highlight that, that for further leopard seal diet studies that they, people should take that into account um, mm -hmm. using, especially the DNA and the morphological. Yeah, which I mean, because that is so huge. And you think about, like you said, just being able to combine those two pieces of information, just how much more detail you can get about what species you're looking at of fish or of chondrichthian, it's, it's pretty powerful. Well, and especially, and we'll talk about this in, in a little bit, but the, you know, the, each, each type of uh, analysis has its own biases. Exactly. And so by getting two different ones with two different biases, you can kind of meld together and be like, all right, well, this is probably what it really is based yeah. on, on that knowledge. Totally. So um, they did say that um, uh, leopard seals in the Antarctic do show favored foraging types and prey species that they like. Um, and they also kind of, again, lower sample size, but identified that here. They had three uh, that were repeatedly going after um, this, these particular species. So it's likely that there are similar preferences for foraging types or prey items in New Zealand leopard seals as there are for Antarctic leopard seals, mm -hmm. which makes sense, right? But yes. it's, again, the evidence, right? We can say, like, well, that makes sense. That probably happens, but without the evidence, you can't really say what it does. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then the importance of citizen science, right? So almost half of the data came from citizen science and that's inexpensive because most, uh, all of them are volunteers, um, which shout out to all the volunteers in all nonprofits everywhere. <laughs> cannot run without you guys and it really is it, it's really important data for those that you're doing those of you that are doing research for different groups 
So yeah. it is a huge thing. Um, it covers more area, right? Because you know, a few researchers can only go so far, but if you have citizen scientists around the region, you can get the whole New Zealand coastline, you know? Right. Um, and they educate and engage um, public with conservation. So again, if they're doing this, they probably care more about it and they're more likely to share it with other people and, and share the knowledge that they're, that they're getting from the public. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a win, 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 win. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, so the three prey species that they have overlapped in range with uh, New Zealand leopard seals. So not surprising. Uh, and the locations that they discussed. So they're eating, they're not going anywhere specific, like I'm going to go over here, which I don't normally go to to get this thing. It's just that they're all living together. Um, but they found more in the South Islands, which is important. Um, and um, the, the, those, those species of fish were also found more in the South Islands. Right. So one of the things that they note there is that those are the species that they found. So the elephant fish, the ghost sharks and the spiny dogfish um, are known to prefer colder waters yes. and are known to be more abundant off the South Island. So again, that just logically that makes sense as to why those would be the ones that they're consuming more frequently around the South Island area. And then again, because I'm on the Northern hemisphere, I'm like, but South is warmer. <laughs> and then I remember that no, North is warmer on the other side of the planet. It's just, I got to turn my brain around when I think about it. Um, so yeah, so that all makes sense. Um, and their uh, leopard seals are relatively shallow divers from like 15 meters to 400 meters. Um, and so I think that overlapped with the ranges for the most part for those fish, but yeah. ghost sharks in particular are deeper. So they thought that the, the leopard seals could be diving deeper than, than they think to get them, or they're targeting them when they are uh, when the when the ghost fish are in shallow sectors of their distribution. So there may be certain spots where they're just in more shallow area, and so then the leopard seals can grab them. Right. Yeah. More opportunistic in that sense. Yeah. Exactly. And that might make sense. They only found one of those, you know, out of the eight. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe the elephant fish <laughs> and the uh, and the ghost ghost shark are more opportunistic versus the spiny dogfish, which seem to be more, more common prey yeah. item. Love this part about paper, because we, we've just finished up a paper about kleptoparasitism in, um, with bald eagles and harbor porpoises and some other cetaceans and seals. Um, but kleptoparasitism is when basically one animal steals food from another. And so they could not rule out that the leopard seals could be kleptoparasitizing um, uh, other species. Um, and they do say that the leopard seals in the Antarctic will take food from fur seals. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it, it's not, it, it wouldn't be necessarily a surprise if they found that they were doing that. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. I mean, I, I if yeah. it still came up to me, I'd be like, here's my food, take it. <laughs> right? Seriously. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Um, um, or it could be scavenged from uh, commercial fisheries. So I think a lot of these fish are also commercial fishery fish. So um, they could just be grabbing them when they, the, you know, the fisherman discards or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or if they're if they're not, they may actually might not be commercial. If they kept if the commercial fisherman also kept these species and throw them off, then they might be taken. Right. Them. Either or. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, they. It's not, again, not uncommon that seals eat sharks, right? It is 
uncommon that they didn't know that New Zealand leopard seals did it. So you have Cape fur seals, Australian fur seals, New Zealand fur seals, New Zealand sea lions, um, uh, and then harbor seals and northern elephant seals all eat different varieties of uh, chondrichthyans. Um, but there is a varying degree of importance for each prey species per predator. So each predator, each seal highlights or eats more of a you know, different species usually. <laughs> they have their, um, their fine tastes of which fish they like better. Um, and then um, it says, oh, for, so for example, um, the spiny dogfish is rare in Australian and New Zealand fur seals, but more prevalent in New Zealand leopard seals in this study. So there is variation and, and that may be part of just, well, you guys eat this one and I'll eat this one and then we all have stuff to eat and there's less competition. Right, kind of that prey partitioning. Right, exactly. Which is an, a, a smart thing to do if you're, mm -hmm. I mean, not that they're doing it maybe like, you know, like thinking about it, but just in general, trying to go after something that somebody else isn't also going after means it's, there's gonna be more food for you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I had never heard this term before. Had you the intra guild? I had not actually. Yeah, I was like, what is that? Okay. Um, and this is when you kill and consume species that are also predators. Right. So basically a predator killing or consuming another predator species. Exactly. Um, and so, uh, for example, leopard seals will predate on other pinnipeds, nine other species. <laughs> really? Nasty little boogers. Um, so this is the first evidence of, of intragill predation of leopard seals on sharks, right? So sharks are also predators. So, um, and this, as we're talking about before with the orcas, this means that they may be competing with those New Zealand coastal uh, orcas that we were talking about that also eat elasmobranchs um, and you know, chondrichthians, um, including the spiny dogfish. So if this is a, especially if this is a newer thing, that might be an issue of um, them starting to compete with, the, with, with those animals. If they've been doing it forever, then they probably just figured you know, there's enough prey for everybody. But it, it's important to understand because if some of those populations collapse, either predator or prey, um, there's more implications than just, oh, well, we care about the orcas because that's what they eat. Well, no, leopard seals also eat it. So what does that mean for them? Right, exactly. So, um, uh, the prey that they that we that they identified are um, among the most commonly observed cartilaginous, cartilaginous fishes in New Zealand waters. So, again, they're they're, they're abundant um, in comparison to other species. So that may be why they're those are the ones that they found uh, in the leopard seals. Um, but important to remember that the the the, the skeleton, the cartilaginous skeleton, doesn't always survive digestion. Um, and so how often we're finding these in the, in the feces is maybe underrepresented because they're not, if they're eating them out at sea, by the time they poop again on land, or by the time they get back to land, the poop that they have doesn't have it in them anymore because they ate it, you know, days ago and it already went through or just didn't survive the digestion. If they're at leopard seals are by shore and they eat and then they poop right away, it's more likely that some of that skeleton will have gone through. Right. So, I mean, this is a, this is a constant issue with, with scat remains in general is just that we, you know, we do have this part of the, um, the equation, I guess, that there, there might be some parts that digest too quickly or that just get lost in that process that we're not seeing. So it's not a, 
um, it's not a, a full scale picture necessarily, but it's definitely a good indication. Exactly. And so they see it, you know, in fur seals, um, it may be that leopard seals are more closer, eat them closer to shore. And so they pass in the feces more easily than in fur seals. So that's why we see them more. Um, or they're eating large, like leopard seals are much larger than fur seals. So if you're eating more of the skeleton, there's more of a chance right. that it's going to make its way through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, oh, and this was interesting is that the morphological, the hard parts did, were detected more of the species, chondrichthyne species than DNA. Because Which is fascinating. Yeah, you would have thought that the DNA would have been lasted longer, right? Just because mm -hmm. it's smaller. Um, but the DNA degrades fairly quickly, uh, mm. especially in that environment. So if the DNA degrades quickly, you're not going to be able to pick out the species. Right. Yep. Um, so again, there's the power of using multiple tools to identify those species of fish. Exactly. And yeah. I just like to highlight that, that DNA is not always better, right? So <laughs> only because uh, it is a huge part of research now and that we have so much great information, but sometimes it gets to like, well, DNA is really the answer to everything. Um, and it has an answer to a lot, but it's not necessarily in, in some cases, the best way to look at things, right? Um, totally. And in this case, it's better to look at it with both and you get more information. So use both, not, not just one. Um, uh, so then the, the prey that was on land um, was interesting because there may be many reasons why, uh, I won't go through all of them, in, um, but you know why they would have uh, bring the fish to shore. Um, but they have shown that cacheting or like basically taking fish and like hiding it in, on land and putting it in like a little pile uh, has been documented in leopard seals I had a leopard seal that took a Gentoo penguin to a rocky beach. So Isn't that wild? I know. I'm like envisioning <laughs> a seal like with this poor little Gentoo penguin. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to save you for later. Just tuck you away over here. <laughs> um, so that's, it, it may not be out of, out of the ordinary or weird thing that they brought the fish to, you know, leave on a pile to eat later or something like that. Right. Um, so they probably caught it and brought it to shore. And, it, and instead of um, it happening to be there, like one of the one of the options was like they just happened to go up on the beach next to this fish. <laughs> like right, just pretty unlikely. Yeah, probably didn't happen. And even like somebody like, oh, this is gonna be a great picture. Here, let me put this spiny dogfish next to this leopard seal. You know, probably didn't happen either. Um, so uh, so that was interesting. I didn't really know that they might cache food or mm -hmm. whatnot. So um, that's an interesting side note. Uh, and then um, there was one case where they showed that a leopard seal died with a ghost shark in its mouth. And I was like, wow. Right, which is big. pretty interesting. Yep. So it's it's one of those like, are your eyes too big for your stomach <laughs> or your <Right>. mouth? <laughs> um, and also they just show that, that some of them will rip prey and, and then basically kind of like eat it together. So maybe he needed a friend to help him and didn't have a friend. Right, up. and try to eat it anyway. Right, so. Um, and, and then again, and now this goes into the injuries of, of the danger of this. So you could choke on it. That's bad. Um, but you can also get all these spinal, you know, spine injury from the spine. So chimeras have one or more long, mild, mild, mildly poisonous spines, um, but they cause wounds and abscesses. Um, and a deep penetration can actually kill them depending on where it goes. Um, Cause I mean, if you, you think about it, if you get something inside and then it get bacteria get in there from the surface that got pushed in, and then you have this big infection, you could have a systemic yeah. infection throughout your body and then you die. Yeah. Um, 
But also they've had pinnipeds die from spines in the esophagus that migrate to vital tissues. And that was crazy. Oh, just imagining it. I'm like, oh no, like, oh, sounds so painful. Right. So just imagine like a spine moving through your body. I guess like going through your, you know, like sometimes people eat something weird and it goes through and then gets stuck in your intestines and then, you know. Yep. Perforated or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be a terrible death. Like, again, why, why, why would you risk that? Um, uh, so they, the, the theory is that, um, or one theory at least is that they, they thrash the prey at the surface, um, uh, which would, from, from observations that we see for like stellar sea lions and California sea lions up here, where they, and even, uh, harbor seals with octopus, they'll thrash it at the surface to break it up or kill it or whatever, both. Um, so that wouldn't be uncommon if you're doing that with things that have spines or you're, you're going to get poked. Right. Yeah. Um, pretty light. Yeah. Um, or um, the prey thrashes itself as it's trying to not get eaten, which would also make sense. Um, if you have spines, you might as well thrash yourself and you might get away. Mm-hmm. Um, or both of those are happening. Probably both, I would hazard. Um, uh, and then some um, uh, might happen just from when you're biting it, you bite the wrong part. Right, yep. Poor placement. Okay. They got spines all over them. It's gonna be kind of hard to get at. So, um, so th- th- again, the question, my the, my big question at the end of this was, why? Like, why do you eat this with this risk? Uh, and it, they're obviously the benefit must outweigh the cost because it's not that they're doing it because it's, um, uh, uh, because it's they're uh, it, 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 there's not enough fish, right? They're they're healthy animals that eat this. So they're not right. doing it out of desperation. Um, and then uh, they were thinking, well, you know, the, there were more adults that did it, but could, could it be a learning thing? Have those adults just not learned it quite yet? How old are those adults? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's these, maybe these are inexperienced hunters that haven't figured out how to not get stabbed in the face with the spines. Um, but again, most of them were adults. So it's, it just, it, maybe they, they just haven't learned yet, or maybe this is just, the risk that you take. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, so they're doing this on purpose without the risk. Possibly this could, these could be opportunistic catches that they aren't realizing what the risk is, right? They haven't realized that there is a risk to this yet. Um, and that would make sense if this is a new, um, a, a, a new behavior that's happening, right? You're right. going to start eating right. these things and then be like, Ooh, Right. Whoops. <laughs> oh, this, this might be it. And then it has to spread through the population, right? You have to like observe other seals going, oh, that's not a really great thing. Maybe I won't try that one, you know, right. or however it spreads through the population. Um, but they did have one individual that had at least four different events in seven days and maybe seven attempts. So seems pretty keen. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, it, it seems like this, they are doing it. The evidence seems like they are doing this despite the risk. So there are whatever benefits they're getting from them outweighs the cost. Um, so the for the future, they wanted to look at you know focus studies on individuals, right? So seeing is this an individual thing or certain individuals within the population that do this particular behavior and foraging strategy, which is seen in many other um, populations of, of animals, um, and doing uh, more photo ID of both prey and the individuals. Um, but they need to know about the diet in order to protect and understand them, especially in a, um, the changing dynamics that are happening with fish 
populations and distribution and overfishing and all that kind of stuff to really understand what these animals are eating so in order to protect them. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I got. Yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, it's, it was actually a pretty, pretty in-depth paper, um, but very manageable. So definitely would recommend going and giving it a read and, and also just looking at some of the very cool pictures that they had in there of yeah. some of these injuries to the leopard seals and some of the fish species next to the leopard seals. So um, we will link the paper below if we can. Um, yeah, this one, I think, think this, was, is open access. this is open access. Yeah, so. Yeah, I'll, so I definitely would recommend going and checking it out because it was pretty interesting. Um, and yeah, just really nice to see such a multimodal um, study, like like we already talked about. It's really neat to see people kind of utilizing all the different tools that we have now as as researchers. Yeah, and the power of what we can get from it, and the power of yeah. citizen science. So yeah, absolutely. once again, thank you to all the volunteers. Everywhere. Yes, we appreciate you. <laughs> we do. Um, so that's it for this week. Uh, next week we'll be Marine Mammal Highlights. So make sure to check out our Instagram stories for choosing who is going to be the winner. Um, we'll have that up in the next, uh, about like a week and a half or so, uh, and make sure to check out our, our website. We have a merch store for lots of fun stuffed animals and Pac-Man gear. Um, so, uh, check that out if you need some cool stuff, uh, and always buys, keep up with us with our Instagram and Facebook, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Check out our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M, to learn more about us, our research, and the educational opportunities that we provide. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks!